chapter 123. Ow, ow, ow! Something in my hand went crunch, as if I'd broken a small bone. Oh my god, it hurt. I sucked in my breath and tried not to scream. Like a boy. Omega staggered but caught himself and immediately spun a snap kick at my knee. I dodged it and wheeled into a spitting sidekick, which connected solidly on top of Omega's leg. Tucking my hurt hand against my body, I focused on kicks, aiming high at his head, bobbing and weaving to avoid his blows. He managed to block almost everything I threw at him, his silvery eyes following my movements, calmly and precisely. He can't track things fast. What did that mean? As an experiment, I took my hurt hand and waved it quickly in front of his face, as if I were about to hit him from a bunch of different directions. Sure enough, his eyes couldn't follow it, and he paused, as if to concentrate on it. So I punched him with my other fist, a really hard blow right at his nose. Apparently, his perfect schnoz was not 400% stronger than the average nose, because it broke. Omega blinked and stepped back, looking startled. Then blood started gushing from his nose. He touched it, alarmed. Headwinds always bleed a lot, I told him. Then I whipped my hand all around him, up and down, side to side. And again, he tried hard to track it, as if he couldn't help himself. I jumped and landed a scissor kick across his neck, and he went down on his knees, coughing. Once more with the hand waving. It was like hypnotizing a cat. Then I clasped my hands together, wincing from the pain of my broken one, and gave Omega a powerful two-handed punch that sent him face down in the dirt. Of course, hitting him with my injured hand had hurt so much I almost shrieked and passed out right next to him. But I held tough. Just barely, but enough. I looked down at Omega, the superboy, the pinnacle of Itex's achievement. I'd bested him because he couldn't track things well with his eyes. I'd won because Jeb had told me about it. I looked up at the director. She was staring at me with the pure, cold hatred of someone who's been defeated by something she thought was inferior. Well, that's the breaks. Omega was out cold, but not dead. We were supposed to fight to the finish. If he'd gotten me on the ground, he would have killed me, poor sap. He didn't know any better. But I did. I could have given him a quick sideways kick at the base of his neck, which would have snapped his spine. Instead, I walked away, heading back to where my half-brother's body lay. Who's the better man now, you idiot? I thought at the director. Chapter 124 The electric net topping the castle walls could keep stuff in, but not out, interestingly. I was pushing through the crowd, tossing off a quick punch or kick here and there, trying to get to Ari, when suddenly a large rock flew over the castle wall. It hit a mutant on the head, and she sat down abruptly. I looked up. An actual arrow, flaming like in the movies, was flying overhead. It streaked right through the net and buried itself in the back of a flyboy who promptly caught fire. What else? When humans catch fire, they run around screaming or possibly remembering to stop, drop, and roll. When a flyboy catches fire, it just stands there looking stupid until it turns into a tall, flaming statue. Apparently, once a flyboy is really aflame, its joints and pulleys quit working and it can't move. Useful information I tucked away for future use. More rocks began flying overhead. Getting to Ari would have to wait. 
I had the living ones to take care of now. Angel, I shouted. Nudge, Total, stand next to the wall. I hadn't noticed Total in a while, and I was glad to see him bound out of the crowd toward me. He was limping, holding up one paw, but leaped into my arms and licked my face. Blech, blood, he said, and quit licking. Blech, right back at ya, I thought. He's throwing the rocks, Nudge asked as we pressed against the wall. I don't know, I started to say, just as Angel said, Kids. What do you mean, kids? I asked. More rocks flew overhead, and several more flaming arrows. I think it's kids out there, Angel said. It feels like kids. I watched as another large rock hit a flyboy in the knees. The robot buckled, and then two mutants fell on it, punching it and pulling its hair. Kids, or, like, cavemen. Kids, said Angel. Save the flock. Kill the flyboys. Destroy Itex. My eyebrows lifted as the growing roar outside became more distinct. Slowly, the noise in the courtyard stilled, and the roar outside grew louder. More and more rocks, some as big as melons, and flaming arrows streaked over the walls. Save the flock. Kill the flyboys. Destroy Itex. I looked at Nudge and Angel. I wonder if they're blog readers. Chase them away. The director's voice boomed over the loudspeaker. Her angry face appeared eight feet tall on the screens around the courtyard. Some of the screens were now broken, and all had dirt and blood splashed on them. They had probably caused a lot, too. Chase them away! The director shouted again. They are vermin. They are here to destroy you. Chase them away! As always, the flyboys jumped to do her bidding without question. There were maybe sixty left. And as one, they shot out their wings and took to the air. Uh, said Nudge, watching. Yes. Oops. No one had turned off the electric net. Sixty flyboys rose quickly upward, and sixty flyboys instantly shorted out when they hit the net. They fell to the ground in perfect unison. That was poor planning on her part, Total observed, and I nodded. Bam! 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 I heard the squeal of an engine outside, and then bone-rattling thumps against the tall gates. The people outside were trying to drive a vehicle through, trying to break down the gates. Chapter 125 Westfield, England The regional director of this school looked over the tops of his glasses. Holloway? What's that noise outside? His assistant moved to a window. A look of alarm passed over his face. It seems to be some kind of demonstration, sir, he said. Demonstration? What the devil do you mean? The regional director moved to the window. What he saw made his mouth open in astonishment. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people were protesting outside the school's gates. They were... They looked almost like children. But that didn't make sense. Is this some kind of anti-nuclear demonstration? He asked Holloway. Do they have signs? Perhaps we should call security. Holloway listened at the window. The roars outside became more distinct. Save the flock! Destroy Itex! Save the world! Destroy Itex! The two men stared at each other. How could they possibly know we're an arm of Itex? The regional director asked. Crash! 
a softball-sized rock flew through their window, showering them with glass shards. Now they could hear the chanting clearly. We want what's ours. You belong behind bars. Itex is an evil giant. Us kids ain't buying it. The regional director looked at Hallway, who had several scratches from flying glass. Call security. Marchland, Netherlands. Ida Ingalls looked up from her lab bench and listened. Odd sounds were coming in the window. She went to investigate, only to dodge a heavy glass bottle tipped with a burning rag. What? Was that a Molotov cocktail? Boom! It exploded just as Ida dove beneath her desk. What was going on? Outside, it sounded like hundreds, maybe more, were surrounding her lab. What were they saying? You ruined our water and our air. You're evil and you just don't care. Fang is right. The time has come. For us kids to claim our home. Who is Fang? Ida wondered. And more important, how could she get out of here? The fire was spreading. Wotan's Australia. What's all that dust, then? The chief operating officer of the Australian branch of Delaney Minker peered out the window. Miles and miles of desert stretched away, as far as she could see. On the horizon, a wide, low dust storm was coming at them. Hand me those binoculars, would you, Sam? She asked her assistant. Sam handed her the binoculars. Is it school day? Asked the COO. Are we expecting field trips? Sam looked at her. We don't get field trips here. It's a top-secret facility. Why? Well, it looks like... children. On motor scooters, apparently. And some of those four-wheel thingies. ATVs? asked Sam. He took the binoculars and looked. A line of small vehicles stretched for at least a mile. It did look like children. Was this some sort of nature club? He squinted and adjusted the focus slightly. They were carrying signs. He could almost make one out. Delaney Minker equals polluting stinker. And another one. The planet is ours. Get out. You may want to go into lockdown, said Sam, sounding far calmer than he felt. Chapter 126 Iggy, Feng yelled. Gasman, follow me. Wheeling through the sky, Feng worked his wings powerfully, racing across the gray ocean toward the horizon. Risking a backward glance, he saw that Iggy and the Gasmin were behind him, and closing fast. Dive bomb, said Feng, on my count. The Gasmin looked down, frowned, then drew in a deep breath and nodded. Oh god, said Iggy. Talk about cold. We are here to destroy you said the flyboys, sounding like an angry swarm of mechanized bees. One, Feng called, heading away from the shore as fast as he could. He hoped there was a steep drop-off along this part of the coast. Two. You will recant, the flyboys droned. You will recant. Three, said Feng, and tucked his wings in tight against his body. He aimed himself downward, right at the water. From this high, going this fast, hitting water was going to feel like hitting concrete, but it couldn't be helped. He heard the gasman and Iggy's jackets flapping as they accelerated downward. 
This is going to be bad, Iggy called. Yup, Thing agreed, his voice snatched away by the streaming wind. There is no escape, joined the flyboys, who were, of course, following them fast. Yeah, thought Fang. This is true. Smash! Hitting the cold ocean was in fact a whole lot like hitting concrete, Fang decided. But he was so streamlined that he shot straight down like an arrow, spearing the water. It felt as if God had punched his face, but he was still alive and conscious. He heard the impact of the gasman and Iggy hitting the water, but could barely see anything when he opened his eyes. As the boys started to make their way up to the surface, their ears popping, they saw and felt hundreds and hundreds of flyboys smashing into the water. It turned out they could not swim. It also turned out that water was not a good environment for their systems to function properly in. The electrical charges of the flyboy shorting out actually made Fang's skin tingle, and he motioned to the gasman to get away, now. The gasman grabbed Iggy, and they swam hard after Fang. They bobbed to the surface about 80 feet away from where a show-stopping lights and sparks display was taking place. The flyboys couldn't help themselves, even as they saw dozens of their colleagues exploding and shorting out in the water. Some of them tried to backpedal, but their wings weren't designed that way, and the flyboys behind them just hit them and dragged them all down anyway. Awesome! shouted the gasman, punching his fist in the air. Oh, Iggy, man, if you could only see this. I hear it. Iggy said happily. I feel it. There's nothing like the smell of the shorted closed-circuit system of an electric Frankenstein. So, guys, said Fang, treading water. Good plan. Excellent plan, dude, said the gasman, and Iggy held up his hand for a high five. Fang slapped it. Then they swam toward shore. Chapter 127 With a gigantic, splintering, grinding noise, the enormous castle gates burst inward. What was left of the mutants hurried out of the way. A giant yellow Humvee careened in through the gates, its front end considerably smashed. The driver's door popped open, and a teenage girl leaned out. I just got my license, she said excitedly in a heavy German accent. Then, hundreds of kids started pouring through the broken gates, only to stop and stare at the courtyard, littered with bodies and busted flyboys. On stage, the director was white-faced. Her order had effectively finished off the last of this batch of flyboys. Maybe she had more stashed inside. At any rate, she turned and started hurrying toward the metal door that led back into the castle. I tumbled Total into Angel's arms and grabbed Nudge's hand. Come on! The two of us took off into the air. The flyboys had shorted out the electric grid as well as themselves. Help me get her, I told Nudge. Just as the director reached the metal door and was grabbing hold of the lever, Nudge and I dropped down on either side of her. Not so fast, Mom, I snarled. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Raid bootleg audiobook podcast. Thing. I am your all of it, Marky. And a very kind person left me a rating review on Apple Podcast. It's from Alexander, and the title of the review says, Your voice sounds like how I imagine M-A dot dot dot, which I assume that says Max. It just got cut off for some reason. And Alexander says, which is awesome because it makes it seem so much realistic. 
Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate that. Uh, if I may say, this is also kind of how I always imagine Max's voice. But that's just because this is the voice that comes out when I read in my head. So it's very kind of you to say that uh, I sound like Max. I'm just saying, if there's ever a Maxim Red animated series, I will be the first to sign up to voice Max. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Alexander. That is the only message slash review slash any of that stuff. So I'm going to go into the recommendation. This week's recommendation is the podcast Wooden Overcoats. It is a gallows humor podcast about a funeral home on this mile-long island called Piffling Vale. So they basically have the monopoly on funerals, and they are horrible at their job. But they're the only ones, so everyone has to use them. But that all changes when a second funeral home moves in across the square from them. So now the folks at Fun Funerals has to deal with the consequences of finally having competition. It's a very funny, kind of dark, but in a very funny way. It never really goes too deep, it's kind of slapsticky. But it's a very good listen, it's been one of my favorites for years. And I believe they have a fifth season in the works. If you'd like to listen to that, I am going to leave a link to that in the show notes. So please check that one out. That is Wooden Overcoats. If you want to leave a rating like Alexander did, that would be super duper cool of you. And if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at maximcrimepod at gmail.com or you can hit me up on my Tumblr over at maximum-crime-pod. Before I get out of here, I want to wish people a happy holidays and to stay safe, have fun, hang out, all that cool stuff. Alrighty, I think that's all I gotta say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. <laughs>